the world is just changing so fast and evolving in so many new directions that it's a constant learning process. And so I feel like for me, at least I'm constantly learning about how the culture is evolving. Um, And so I'm really interested to see how this evolves and if something sustainable does come out of it, or if this is something that is going to be like Beanie Babies, um, where it had its time and then on to the next thing. But how do you define value? It's all subjective, right? Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again to the Bitcoin Bottom Line. This is CJ Wilson with Stephen McClurg. Uh, and one of the things that we've been talking about a lot in the space lately is collectibles and how Bitcoin versus some of these other things that are out there influence that. And since we're both boomers, we're bringing in a real artist, and that is Annie Little. And we're referring to her as Malibu Annie. She's coming to us live from a sun-drenched backyard somewhere in an undisclosed Malibu location. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, All right, thank, so, thank you for being here, Annie. So I guess jumping right into it, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, I mean, you know, Bitcoin's a financial instrument, right? But as a financial instrument, um, it, there's a value and store value. There's a there's transactional ability that Bitcoin gives you as a, as a holder. But is value objective or subjective? That's the real question, I guess, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that's been floating around on Twitter lately is avatars, and um, you know, some some NFTs, for instance, I get some I don't. And, and having uh, avatars uh, being created and purchased for a lot of money, like the, uh, like the cyberpunks purchased by Visa, um, actually didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I've, and, I've, and I've got a few reasons why. So I would say that, you know, for me, it's pretty, uh, pretty subjective. So, okay. So let me ask you this, because my, my brother's an NFT artist and he's been very successful selling, uh, you know, mixed media stuff on Nifty Gateway. He sold a, him and Hans Zimmer actually put a mixed media uh, music slash, you know, visual together and things like that. Um, I love tangible art. I love things I can put on my wall. You have something behind you. I've got collectibles behind me. Um, But here's the thing. I'm not a digital artist, right? I like painting. I like taking photographs. I am a race car driver. So I like race car collectibles. I'm a, I'm a baseball guy. So I've got like baseball bats and, you know, things from my career. Um, But Annie, you are, approximately half my age. So why don't you take us through maybe your opinion of digital art versus mm-hmm. tradi- traditional art and how you see the attractiveness as maybe somebody that wants to pursue one or the other as a, either a career choice or just from a financial opportunity? Yeah, for sure. I think definitely both have a lot of value. Um, in the traditional art aspect, I feel like um, there's a lot of history and there are a lot of different materials that you need. So it's, it's a little more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like limited and exclusive kind of, um, because you can't just grab an iPad and whip up anything you have to, it takes time right now. Actually last night I started, um, I'm pressing seaweed. That's my new hobby. Um, so I went to the beach and collected seaweed and then I'm like pressing it and drying it. And so, and then I'm going to frame it. And so that takes time. It takes a lot of materials, weight, a lot of different stuff like that, where 
as if I'm designing something for Valkyrie on the computer, on like Adobe Illustrator or my iPad or something like that, I can just carry that around with me wherever I am um, and kind of whip something up. But the cool thing about digital art nowadays is that they have a lot of um, like brush, brush strokes and things that mimic the traditional art. So it's, it's all definitely really inspired by traditional, um, like physical art. Um, but there are a lot more opportunities to create maybe like a montage of different, um, like kinds of art, like you can like paint and then draw on top and then, but it's not paint or pencil. It's all just on the, on the iPad itself. So I think there are a lot of different opportunities, um, that, that you can create with, with both types. Yeah, like I, I think sometimes the thing that I like about traditional art, like oil painting or something like that, is you do yeah. kind of have to go through these steps. You mm-hmm. know, you have to sort of graduate mm-hmm. to a master level before you're really appreciated because if yeah. you just if you just start slapping oil paint on a canvas, it looks like trash. I mean, yeah, and 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 it's hard. It's a very difficult thing and very disciplined. Like you said, there's a high barrier you know, high cost of entry, high barrier of entry. Cause you have to work mm-hmm. with a, you have to understand how the medium works and all that stuff. You have to um, get to know the materials on like a personal level. It, mm-hmm. it has to become your third hand. Yeah. And to me that that's where the value is when you see that mm-hmm. expressed. And yeah. uh, Steven, I know you're, you're an art guy. You like collecting art and stuff like that. Like what's, what's your, what's your feel for, you know, the, the value um, be like when, why do you buy something versus something else in that regard? Well, you know, art is actually something I got into really about 15 years ago. And this was when um, I was, you know, managing money for people and, and we were looking at things that help to, you know, prevent and, and you know, inflation uh, or to protect or, or hedge yourselves against inflation. So uh, a lot of a lot of wealthy individuals, um, you know, will diversify their portfolio uh, by purchasing art. And one of the really cool things about art that a lot of people don't realize is when you purchase, um, you know, art that is, um, you know, let's say very expensive, you can actually rent it out to other businesses and buildings and, and, and other places and earn income off of that art. So you might have a $10 million piece that you, that you, that you lend out to somebody and they're paying you for it and they cover the insurance costs for it as well. So, so it wow. is not only a, a appreciating asset, but it also can be an income producing asset as well. Hmm. So that so, blows, so that that blows my mind. Art, right. Yeah. And I should have a friend who, um, you know, that he had this, you know, and you'll appreciate this CJ. I don't know if you've done this or not, but he started a company where you know, essentially he wanted to drive around nice cars all the time, but couldn't afford like a whole, like, you know, slew of, of 20, you know, million dollar cars. So what he did was he created a company that would purchase say, uh, you know, a rare Ferrari or a rare Lamborghini. And then he would take it to shows. He would drive it on the weekends, take it to shows. They would pay him to put his car in the shows. He would hold it within the company and then, and then when he got tired of it, he would sell it oftentimes because it was a rare car uh, for more than he paid for after earning income, after driving it around and then buying the next car that he wanted. So it was his way of, 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 of having, you know, that, that slew of cars without having, you know, without having to spend money on, you know, 20 of them. That's literally a loophole big enough to drive a car through. I appreciate that for sure. <laughs> um, but that, it, so the income producing art that blows my mind. 
like that absolutely blows my mind because it really changes the dynamic of the conversation from an investment standpoint versus a curating standpoint. Like if you love something, you just want to buy it because you think it looks awesome and you just want it on your wall. Like I, I, I understand that more so sometimes than the, the inflation hedge thing, I guess, because I've never been at the level to buy something that's, you know, one of these deals. But when I see the ETH rocks, right, an ETH rock selling for a hundred ETH right? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of actual money. And I get it. If you have been mining and you have just a pile of ETH for no reason, um, you know, and you just want to do something with it. But, you know, like I read, I also read this other thread from somebody that there was a bug in the original ETH contract for the ETH rocks, the first set of ETH rocks, which is from like two years ago. So basically you would buy it and then, um, then it would automatically relist it for like a dollar more than you sold, than you bought it for. And so, so you would go to like, look and see that you have it and you had already sold it because the next guy had bought it. You know what I mean? And so people were like buying stuff and then getting paid back and like, wait, what happened? And then it's sort of disappearing. And that's sort of the problem with like, let's say a smart contract or whatever, as opposed to like a tangible piece of art. And from like, so Annie, I guess here's the thing. How much would you trust as a digital artist? How much would Mm -hmm. you trust the, I don't know, the portal or whatever that's going to give you the sort of right to sell your stuff because it's, you, you know, in, in a way, if you're marketing, you have to market this, right? It's not like, right. it's not like people are just emailing you going like, Hey man, can you just, I'll, I'll give you like three grand. Can you just like whip something up for me? Like I like Superman. Yeah. Can you just draw Superman for me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely um, have a very personal connection to my art. So I, I would feel more comfortable still holding a stake of that art than just selling it completely or letting somebody else take full authority over like how it's distributed and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing about where I like NFTs. Um, so, so I, I recently uh, commissioned uh, this, this amazing artist named Courtney uh, Garrett. Uh, who uh, is is a, she's an Atlanta artist that is um, now in in Tennessee, and so when we commissioned the art, uh, what we did was we attached um, a code and we put the art, you know, the the actual code for the art on the blockchain. Uh, that way, you have an NFT to track it. And the other really interesting thing that we did with that was there's a there's a movement among artists right now to uh, you know earn earn a earn a earn a piece of any time their art sells very similar to like an, an artist mm-hmm. music or, or film where you know anytime it's uh, it's replicated or used they 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 get that royalty but artists that that are that are painting you know physical art or or, or producing physical art they don't get those types of royalties. So, so what NFT technology is able to do is actually to allow you to track every time that there's a, there's a movement in the piece and then, and then some, and then a piece of royalty gets kicked back to the artist. So we did that with, with her art sort of as a, as, as a fun experiment. And by the way, you know, I bought the art in Bitcoin and we're tracking it uh, on the blockchain as well. And if I ever sell it, then she gets kicked back, you know, one or 2%. Uh, as as the original artist that produced it, and and I really think that that's the value of the technology going forward. Uh, you know, royalty tracking. Uh, if if, any, if if you ever came from an industry, I, so I I had a stint of time where I, I spent in the video game industry uh, for for a couple of years, 
And I'll tell you the hardest thing about working in the video game industry, the hardest thing about making video games is royalties. Uh, you have a person that all they do is sit in a room and they have a miserable life. They're the royalty accountant. And all they do is track every single time a video game is purchased, every time, every time a video game is played. And then, and then all the music, you know, they have to pay the mm. music label. They have to pay, you know, anybody that's involved and all they do is track this stuff and it's all very manual. So, so, so blockchain actually is, is, is a, is a, or even smart contracts more specifically is a way to, to track this stuff and to create NFTs into, um, you know, any type of, any type of art or any type of entertainment that eliminates those kind of mundane jobs and, and automatically tracks and automatically pays things. Because if you're a, a royalty uh, bearing artist, you typically sometimes get paid a year later, right? It takes 90 days mm -hmm. sometimes just to figure out what's been done. And then, you know, another year to, to, to pay the person what, what, what you owe them. And it's a, it's a very, very arduous process. So, uh, so, so this, this really fixes that. Yeah, I think I think overall it's it's hard for me, I guess, because I'm so focused on Bitcoin to think about spending money on other mediums of store value right now, you know, because it's we've talked recently. I mean, inflation obviously is is really gnarly. And, you know, you worry sometimes that putting putting one dollar in the wrong bucket is going to cost you you know, three or four or $5 down the road, right? Because if you buy the right thing, whether that's real estate or, you know, an ETH rock or whatever, and you, and you, you happen to benefit from that, then, then obviously you win. But if you don't benefit from that, then it's the opportunity cost. And that's the thing that's always in the back of my head saying like, oh, just buy more Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, those are some nice sunglasses. And I'm like, buy more Satoshis, buy more Satoshis, man. <laughs> you know, I'm just so, so, so much pressure there. And I think that's oh. where, yeah, go ahead, Annie. I was going to say, like you guys were talking about on the last episode, to bring that one in, um, what you mainly feel comfortable, you said, Stephen, buying was is hard assets because of inflation. So like art and Bitcoin and real estate. And so I, I think that that applies super well. Well, yeah, and that's and, and that's what we were we were kind of talking about pre-show a little bit was ha yeah. having an having an open mind, being an open-minded investor, looking for opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And having open eyes versus an open mind, those are sometimes two different things. Because if you have your eyes open, then you're basically you're doing your own research, right? You're doing something, you're you're getting into your own comfort zone. And um, I think the big criticism that a lot of Bitcoiners get all the time is you guys are closed-minded. It's boomer technology. It's the oldest crypto, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, the innovation, da, 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 da. And, you know, it's the sort of set in your ways as a criticism that you get, right? You get criticized of being set in your ways. But there's a sort of like success coaching, right? And a success bias. If you have early success with something, you don't necessarily want to change too much because it's just like mm -hmm. a music artist. You're like, hey, this is this works. People buy these albums. They keep downloading my stuff. I, you know, there's a good result here. So I don't know. I mean, it's like, Stephen, you, you've got a lot more diverse sort of portfolio and experience portfolio in that regard, right? So that's that you've come from a, a, like literally the opposite of digital of digital currency. Yeah, I mean, look, most of my portfolio used to be in bonds, right? I mean, that's that's and that's what I know best, right? And, and I think that's really where we're getting to is you know a lot of Bitcoiners criticize people for for buying gold, for buying this, for buying that, for buying that. So like, you should just buy Bitcoin. It's like, well, it's good to have diversification. It's good to also. Uh, understand the thing that you're buying, right? So, so let's say I've had friends that are, you know, that still do private equity, right? And I would bet on them, you know, 
any, 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 any day, right? Because they're in the flow, they see deals, they know how to do it. They know how to buy companies and turn them around. And that is all they do. And that's all they know. So should, should those guys put 80% of their portfolio in Bitcoin? No way. They should be betting on themselves. They should be buying up, buying up companies, flipping them and, 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 and making money off of them. That's, you know, and, and, and a small percentage of their portfolio should be in some of these other diversifiers. Same thing with, with real estate investors. You know, if you're a real estate investor and that's all you do and that's all you know, absolutely. 80% of your portfolio should be in real estate because you know that better than anybody else. And, and, and you know how to make money off of it. You know how to make income off of it. You know how to flip it. You know, you, you know how to do all the things you need to do to generate income. You're betting on yourself. You're betting on your own knowledge. And then maybe the rest of your portfolio, you know, is in diversifiers and things like Bitcoin. Um, I got out of fixed income because, you know, I really saw the top of it, you know, the top in fixed income back in 2016. It's like, okay, I mean, what am I going to, you know, buy bonds for people that are yielding 1% or zero? And and where are we today? We're at, you know, less than 1% in bonds. And, and how can I justify, you know, putting people in portfolios of bonds that are yielding, you know, anywhere from, from zero to 4% when inflation's at 5%. That's, you know, if, if you're if you're getting 4% in your bond portfolio and inflation's five plus, that means your real yield is negative one plus or minus, right? So it's 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 so so I had to completely leave the thing that I knew the best, right? To 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 focus on something else, which was digital assets. Um, but but in addition to digital assets, obviously, you know private equity, art, uh, other hard assets, real estate. I mean, these are all things that I'm involved in and diversify into, but, uh, but no, digital digital currencies like Bitcoin is really where um, where most of my focus is and most of most, most of where I am. Yeah, I think I think for me, like Bitcoin makes makes so much sense as an investment because it's so divisible, right? And I can get in it a little bit at a time, so I can play this arbitrage game where, like, I try to save ten dollars and then you know allocate ten dollars to Bitcoin, right? And I, I try to break it down to the micro level because that's kind of how the car dealership works, right? You're thinking, oh, if I can sell one more set of wiper blades or one more tire, or if I can get this guy to buy you know window tint or something like that. There's these incremental sales that you're making, and then as a you, you do that as a Habit, and then that habit replicated over, you know, a thousand or two thousand repetitions. Suddenly, you have, you know, a bigger, a bigger uh, success profile or something like that. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's the challenge because, like, Annie brought up the 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 barriers to entry for artists, right? And then, you know, there's also barriers to entries for collectors because it's very hard. Like we can't just go out there and buy a Salvador Dali, right? You can't just go buy a masterwork from Rothko, Rothko or somebody like that, you know? You can't do that because they're 10, 8, 6, 4, 12, $40 million, whatever, or more. Um, so it's kind of like this thing where, you know, we're in this, this the world is changing, right? Mm -hmm. Things are getting more diverse because that's the process of evolution. And I think evolution sprouts up and then you see branches start to go every direction because that's sort of the nature of math, right? It just goes everywhere. And then the successful branches strengthen, get longer, get stronger, and then attract more weight or, you know, support or something like that. And then some of those other branches die off. Beanie babies, right? That was the thing. Um, now, you know, people are collecting vintage mint condition Nintendo games, literally NES, 8-bit, 1986, Super Mario Brothers or Zelda or whatever. People are collecting that. I think that's because that's the age that we were kids, right? Well, I was born in 1980. 
So you think about have, preserving these windows and every couple of years, there's like a collector car thing where there's hot rods from the sixties and seventies. Those are like through the roof, you know, and then all the, you know, like Hemi engine Dodges and stuff like that through the roof. And then all of a sudden it's vintage Ferraris. Then it's Malibu. Then it's, you know, Malibu's out. Now it's the Hamptons. Now it's, you know, whatever. So I think there's these cycles that go through and we're in like the midst of this cycle shift, right? Like you said, fixed income is changing. And now you have, because of the divisibility, you have digital art coming in and these other things that are brand new mediums. I mean, a full on thing and the, the traceability or the trackability or the rarity or whatever of those is even if, even if it's not that rare, right? Because there's, they're, they're going to do a, a, a thousand of them or something like that. It still means that you can buy something for a cheaper price, right? Because you can't just go out there and buy a 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB 4 cam for $3 million because you're a college kid, but you can allocate a couple hundred dollars, you know, to buying some Bitcoin, to buying, buying an NFT, to producing an NFT, and then maybe getting paid in cryptocurrency, which I think is awesome. That's my favorite part, because I think anybody that has gotten to the point where they can convert their skill set into mm-hmm. receiving, you know, once you get to the point that you can sell against your skill set, I think that's awesome. And that's what I think is, is, is cool about the economy. That being said, as a collector, I'm still very wary. Um, you know, so that's, I, I'm not educated enough on the space, I guess, because I'm still trying to, to ramp up my, my Bitcoin baseline, if that makes sense. Uh, well, I, I have one more thing I want to I add, and then, I, and then I have a question for Annie, because I, I really want to dig into these other types of entities. But, but, the, but the types of entities that I like, right, you know, we talked about art as a, as a income producing asset, if you know how to do it right. So let's say that you have a Van Gogh. And you want to own a piece of Van Gogh, um, and you could potentially break that up into fractional ownership, and and and, and a whole group of people owning the Van Gogh that then sits somewhere that's producing income, and everybody gets a, a dividend off of it. I mean, that's actually a really brilliant way to uh, protect yourself against inflation, to have a uh, appreciating asset that that produces income. Um, you know, you know, it's it's funny because ten years ago. I was looking at how you could put art into an ETF, right? I mean, you know, uh, here we are today doing Bitcoin ETFs, which I won't talk a whole lot about. But but back then it was like, okay, we were looking at things like, okay, how do I put art into an ETF? Fine wine, uh, forever stamps. I mean, just, you know, you, you think about you know, the wildest things you can think of to protect yourself against inflation. And we were trying to figure that out, right? But 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 art, you, you, you we do have the technology now that allows you to do it. We didn't have that 10 years ago. It didn't really work well in the ETF. But now it does work well in a, in a non-fungible token where you own a piece of something that, that can appreciate value, that's something physical. Now, let's talk about these other NFTs that are avatars, right? And, uh, you know, my question for Annie is, you know, I'm sure you've seen this in Twitter where people are buying these, these, these avatars that are kind of really, in my opinion, poorly done. You know, you've got ETH rocks. It's like, okay, here's a rock. Here's a picture of a rock, and now we're going to change the shade to where it's slightly more gray and now it's slightly more green, and we're going to charge you $100,000 for this like change in shade. I mean, do you, do, you, do you see that as something sustainable for, I mean, this is your age group, by the way. I'm a boomer. I don't get it. Well, we're not really boomers, but we're close enough. What, what, yeah. What's the sustainability of that? I mean, are, are, do, do you know people that are actually buying this stuff and flexing with, with ETH rocks? I, I personally haven't met or don't know of any of my friends who have, who have purchased that yet. Um, or maybe I just don't know about it and they have, but I'm not sure about the sustainability aspect of it. I think that I'm just, I, 
the world is just changing so fast and evolving in so many new directions that it's a constant learning process. And so I feel like for me, at least I'm constantly learning about how the culture is evolving. Um, And so I'm really interested to see how this evolves and if something sustainable does come out of it, or if this is something that is going to be like Beanie Babies, um, where it had its time and then on to the next thing. But, but if you think about it, like, I feel like in the future, there are just going to be more things like this, where we're like, we don't really understand, like, I guess I can't really relate to like how this is sustainable or, or as valuable or whatever, but they are. And the, the generation that's purchasing it defines it as sustain or as valuable. So I guess that, you know, circles back to like, how do you define value? It's all subjective, right? So I guess to the people that are buying it, it is, it is defined as, as valuable, but to people who don't really relate to it, I feel like there are other um, assets that they would, you know, purchase instead that they would find more valuable for themselves. Yeah. I think, I think the question with this is like, and Steven used the word flex, like there's people, there's people that want to compete with what they have, right. They want to show off what they have. And I see that in the car world a lot. Somebody will get, let's say a, a brand new 911 or something like that. Then the neighbor goes, I want to get a better one than Bill. Bill's got a good one. I want to get a better one. Oh, what was the MSRP on his? Oh, he didn't do the ceramic brakes. Ha ha. I'm going to show off. And I think that's, that's where it gets really weird because then that's when you stop making rational decisions, right? When mm-hmm. you're, when, which is to when say your that, ego's involved. Yeah. When it's too egoic. Right. And then it's not, it's not to say that like, okay, I think this is prettier than that one. I think this is better than that one because of the skill set of the artist or something like that. I think that's what that's the, you're basically creating a popularity contest in a vacuum, right? right? You're, you're competing with someone like with sometimes even without them knowing, right. That's the funniest thing to me is it's like, Oh, people are going to like jock me now that I've got my, my, my crypto punk as my avatar. And I, I think, you know, the thing that I have a hard time with is once you get up beyond a certain level of price, right. It's just like cars. Like once cars get above a certain price, there's no rational argument for that car. Yeah. Like there's not, right. It, it becomes a, a collectible thing or an ego thing. One of those two, but like there's, and both of them, especially with NFTs, there's, results constantly because there's these auctions and things like that. So you see, you actually can see what's happening in the market. It's just like, it's, it's like on-chain metrics, right? You can see there was this many sold. This is the value. This is the average value. This is the high value, low values. This is the unsold percentage or whatever. Uh, Cause it's auctions a, a, a lot of times mm-hmm. and people get juiced up when they're auctioning something. They're like, Oh, I got to win. And it, bah, 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 they just keep hitting the button and the price goes up. Um, that's what's so weird because I think the younger generation in a lot of ways doesn't seem as competitive as my generation, which was sort of raised in this whole like excess consumerism, Mm -hmm. you know, mentally it was like, you had to get a Porsche or you had to get a Ferrari. Everything on TV was like excess, you know, in the eighties and nineties. Now it seems like there's this like social, like people are supposed to be like friendlier to each other and nicer, but then you still have people going like, yeah, but my shit's better than yours. What? You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I I have a hard time seeing how that, how that's going to be sustainable long-term, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, even Elon Musk, right. He, He sold all of his possessions and lives in like this little shed at the, at the at the SpaceX facility in Texas, and and his flex is yeah I run five different companies right he's yeah. like I don't need a car I don't need a house I don't need any of that stuff 
look how many companies I run that are billion dollar companies. And, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, that's a, that's a different way to do it, but you're right. You know, the possessions have kind of gone away. Um, but what's, what's really interesting is, uh, you know, have, have you guys, either one of you played Fortnite? No, I, I have, but just not, not actually, Yeah, <laughs> I, but I, but I've observed my brother play it a lot. Right. So, so my kids got me into Fortnite and yeah. I really enjoy playing and you know, I love first person shooter games. You know, I love, I love video games. And, um, yeah, it was a great game. It was free, you know, like you just, you just play it on the Xbox. It's a completely free game. And you're like, you know, just play it over and over again. It was awesome. And then my kids started saying, Hey, uh, dad, I need V bucks. And, uh, cause I need to buy things in Fortnite. I'm like, what do you need to buy in Fortnite? You just, it's a free game. Right. And it's like, well, you know, we have all these skins, you know, all these avatars, you know, they call them skins, but you know, I know as, as, as an avatar from a you know, former video game company guy. And um, they're like, you know, I just want to change my skin. I want to buy this special gun. And, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, here's, here's 20 bucks. And next week is like, dad, I need another, you know, 20 bucks. Dad, I need a hundred. Dad, for Christmas, I want $200 in V bucks. I'm like, wait, whoa, wait a minute. What are you, what are you doing with all of this? Right. And they're buying all these new skins. I'm like, well, what about the skin you just bought? He goes, oh, that wasn't cool anymore. I'm buying the new skin now. Like people will make, my friends will make fun of me if I, if I, if I use the skin from a month ago, because that's an old one. I, I need the, I need the new one that just came out. And, and it, and it kind of hit me that, okay, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of, of this kind of flex social thing going on online when you're playing with your friends. And it's almost like the, the clothes that your character's wearing or your avatar is more cool than what you actually are doing in real life in some cases, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and I, and I think it really peaked during, uh, all the COVID lockdowns, right? Because you don't see people as much and you're flexing online. But when, when I started seeing these avatars coming out, these JPEGs that people are using as their profile pics on Twitter, I sort of related it back to uh, Fortnite where it's like, okay, once you buy a Fortnite skin, you're not selling it for more money than what you bought it for. As a matter of fact, it's diminishing returns because now there's a new one that comes out and then a new cooler one and then a new cooler one, right? And, and granted, they're not rare. Anybody can buy them. But even the avatars that people, the JPEG avatars that people are, are putting as their Twitter picks that they're, you know, flexing by spending too much money on, that's just, you know, CryptoPunks isn't going to be cool in a year. It's going to be something new or it's going to be, I've seen this other one that's like apes, you know, which is actually like that a little bit better. Um, and, uh, but, but there's going to be a new cooler one that comes out like, oh, you're still doing the CryptoPunk thing? Like that's so last year, right? Well, we so just get bored so easily. Like our... As technology advances and our our brain, our our what's it called? Attention spans are just so much shorter than they have been, and they keep getting shorter and shorter. And I think that applies also with interests. Like we just get bored, and we just mm -hmm. keep wanting new things and new things, and then everything else is just old and boring. That's just dangerous in the metaverse, though, you know. And that that for sure that, that virtual space. If if the people that have basically been, I don't want to say, well, I guess I'll say taking advantage of our of our sort of siloed interests and stuff like that, because they're they're sort of funneling us into saying, oh, well, you like this, you clicked on this thing, so we're gonna, you know, put these things on your story. They're gonna sort of fall into this this hamster wheel of being fed things at a faster mm -hmm. pace because they keep inter, you know, they keep interacting with it, and I think that's a little bit scary in the metaverse because it's all digital. Right. So you have no idea how many people are producing these things. And all you know is that psychologically you want to mm -hmm. be there experiencing it. Right. And it sort of creates a, a weird cyclical addiction where you have to have the newer thing 
You have to have the newer thing first before somebody else. You have to like dig deeper to maybe even have the, have something that somebody else can't get. Right. Those are like the layers of it. And um, I don't know. It's, it's hilarious to me at some levels because I think that it just, it goes to show you that there's just a base level of let's say financial um, not irresponsibility because that would be denigrating what some of these people are doing, which is actually like investing their time and, 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 you know, producing value. But I think like there's a, there's a lack of foresight to, you know, for that, that group of people, because they don't, they're not thinking 12 months ahead, right? They're thinking now and that's it. And then tomorrow they think about now. And then three months from now, they think about now. I think that to have like a very successful mindset in life, you have to have a long-term aspect because you have to have a development plan on a personal level, relationships, all that stuff. You have to think, how am I going to keep this stable? How am I going to make this work, right? As the, as the world, which fluctuates and there's crazy rules and changes all the time, you know, it's difficult. If you're, if you're constantly upgrading your skins, right? And that's what you're focused on. Then it's like, are you just, are you just on a hamster wheel? You know? And that's the hardest thing. That's the thing that I want to just grab people by the shoulders and say, get off the hamster wheel. You know, Bitcoin is your chance to get off the hamster wheel. And once you get off the hamster wheel, then you're free, right? It's like, you have to take the pill, open your eyes, then you see what's actually out there. Now you can make, you know, like your own decisions. And if you screw it up from here, that's on you. And and if you want to do that, that's fine. Right. But I just, I, I feel that there's this trap that these big, companies and the big tech has on, on people, you know, because of, because of these things. So yeah. that's, that's my little rant right there. Well, Annie, you, you brought up a real good point about, um, you know, how, how, how fast things move. Right. And, and, and I kind of go back to when I was a kid, you know, we, we collected GI Joe's right. And mm-hmm. then, and then, and then you had like cabbage patch kids and beanie babies and all these other things that came out and it was like, Oh, that was cool. Now on to the next thing. Now on to the next thing. Now on to the next collectible, and and even when I mentioned Fortnite, it's like okay, every month there's these new skins. So it's like every month it's not cool anymore. Um, it, it it feels like even with these Twitter avatars or these 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 NFT avatars that people are are using, uh, is it going to be cool in a year? Probably not a year. Probably not even a month. I mean, it's probably mm-hmm. like a a quick one week thing, and hopefully you can flip it. And if you if not, then everybody's moved on to the next thing. Like, you know, who, who wants this thing that people already bought, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think as an, as, as investment, um, you know, it's probably, probably not my cup of tea, but uh, you know, some people are trying to make a buck on it and yeah, there's probably some scammers out there too, that are trying to try to pump the things and uh, get other people to buy it off of them uh, just like they do with, you know, in the old world of ICOs. And, and art for that matter too. Right. I mean, art, art yeah, auctions, but- the art auctions are pump and pump also. Right. So it's because it's, yeah. it's, when you, anything you, anytime you have something that's limited, there's this elastic effect that if someone is committed enough financially and can do it, they can move the market because it just gets so much attention once the price goes up. And we just saw that I was at Pebble Beach car week and some of the auction results were literally blowing my mind for cars that I didn't think were worth half of that money. They were going, you know, there was, these cars going for 600, 800, a million, $2 million. And some of those cars were 200, 300, 500 grand a couple of years ago, just because there's this discovery aspect, you know, as the sort of a price discovery aspect of when people learn about that, that given, uh, that given object or that given artifact or something like that. Um, but I, the whole space terrifies me in that regard, you know, because it's it's it just the whole thing terrifies me. To so I just I stay out of it. I'm like, yo, that's like a strip club. I don't even want to go in there. I don't know what's happening. 
I'm going to stay out here. Stay out here. I'm going to go to the burrito place and I feel safe with that. You know, it's kind of more my speed. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy, real, real quick question as, 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 as an artist, you know, you, I think you've, you've probably seen some of these, you know, like, like crypto punks, for instance, how long would it take you to, to replicate crypto punks and make a thousand of them? Um, I don't know. Not that long. Right. But the like technology that we have. Yeah. Maybe not even depends how hard you work in the, in a few hours. Did you guys, did you guys see this where, so Visa bought, Visa spent $150,000 on this NFT, right? I'm not sure exactly what they bought. I forget. You guys might know, but they published their address, their ETH address. And so people are spamming them with like, with their own versions of these things. Whoa. And there's a whole Twitter thread of these people that are doing these eight bit designs. And there's, there's a bunch of different ones and they have some, some of them are terrible names and some of them are extremely vulgar and like borderline pornographic. And they're just basically sending all these to, uh, to visas ETH address, because for some reason they put, they publish their, you know, their, uh, their MetaMask wallet or something like that. So it's really right. funny because, because it's on the blockchain, right? So you can see like where it goes. So it's like, hey, this is where this right. went. Yeah. And that's the only way you can flex, right? The only right. way you can flex yeah. by publishing your address so that everybody can see how much money you spent. Yes. So someone's like, hey, I'm going to send you some 8-bit tits or something like that. And this is all... <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. I encourage anybody listening to, to, to try to find this Twitter thread when you're not around your parents or your children, uh, because it is really brutal. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's super brutal, but that's, I guess that's, that's the defense that you have to sort of play a little bit. If you're, uh, if you're really going to be a, an NFT, a public NFT collector. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the other thing I'm going to say here too, is, is it's actually not that rare. And, and, and the reason why is, okay, there, there might be like a limited collection of a thousand avatar NFTs, right? that somebody puts out and again, you know, like Annie said, you, you could probably create those in a day. I personally um, couldn't, but somebody who knew how totally could. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, but the thing is, if, if it, they might be rare from the, from the you know perspective that, you know, somebody created them and that's the only ones that they're going to create and they're, you know, their, their addresses on the blockchain. But what makes them not rare is that there's so many other people producing these and, and everybody's right. seeing like a gold rush and they're just producing massive amounts of avatars and whoever markets the markets the best wins, you know, and they're, right. you know, it's a quick buck. They're collecting money. And, you know, some people are trying to turn them around and make a little bit of money off of them. But like, you know, uh, as the market gets flooded with these things, I, I, I just don't see it being, being that rare, being, being that valuable in the, in the long run. Yeah. So I'm reading this, I'm reading this now. It says, uh, uh, Visa's NFT wallet is receiving a lot of junk NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> But the real MVP award goes to whoever sent them the feet pick. That's great. You know, I think we should do an experiment, guys. Um, I think we should create a limited run of a thousand avatars and sell them. And just and just as an experiment, we'll see how it Valkyrie does. avatars of Valkyries? Uh, it could be anything. What do you want to, whatever you want to do, Annie. Hmm. I'll think about it. I'll brainstorm. We'll, we'll, we'll think about it. And, and and let's do an experiment. We'll, we'll and we'll and we'll report back the results. We'll make avatars of everyone on our team. Everyone will have their own avatar. Yeah, eight bit avatars. We're, we're I'm in. I, I'll, 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 I'll put that together in MS Paint for everybody. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I guess, uh, I guess that's probably it for the day. We covered a lot of ground right there. Annie from Malibu is great to have you on the <laughs> Bitcoin Bottom me. Line. Our, our, your inaugural appearance officially. 
um, I guess it, between now and the next one, uh, let's just see how high Bitcoin can go. That's like the next thing, right? So yeah, yeah, no predictions. We're just going to see how high. Yeah, yes, just, <laughs> and and see how much of it, how much of it I can stack by saving, and uh, and and not buying, not not eating carbs, but stacking stacking sats instead of carbs. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> and stacking sats instead of NFTs. There you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye. See ya. Once again, thank you for listening. This is CJ Wilson with Stephen McClurg, and this was another episode of the Bitcoin Bottom Line. See you soon. The opinions presented herein are solely of the individual and are not necessarily representative of Valkyrie Investments, Inc. and their affiliates. There is no guarantee that any specific outcome will be achieved. Investments may be speculative, illiquid, and there is a risk of total loss of your investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.